crisp air burns deep into your lungs as you struggle for breath in the high altitude of the Rocky Mountain dark timber. It is rejuvenating and welcomed. You've been hiking for an hour in the dark of the morning, trusting the light from the man on the moon rather than bump any elk during your ascent with a headlamp. You close your eyes to listen, your senses on edge. You hear him bugle. He's keeping his cows in line as they navigate the timber, feeding slowly towards their daily beds. With increased energy, you take off, working up the mountain again, now with clear direction to cut off this feeding herd. As daylight breaks, you look across the face and begin to make out the shapes of elk and finally lay eyes on the bull you've been waiting for since last September. And suddenly, you hear it, the shrill howl of a wolf, and then another and another. Every hair on your body stands on end as a shiver runs down your spine as you witness a pack of wolves tear out from the timber below in fast pursuit of the herd. Hey everybody, welcome to the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris. Got three very distinguished guests with me here today. Um, got Lane Walter, uh, the Colorado Bowhunters Association liaison to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Department. I've got Aaron Snyder from Kafaru Cast and Kafaru and uh, Super Bowl champion Derek Wolf joining me here on the podcast. Um, welcome, guys. Thanks for having us, man. Yeah. What's up? Well, this is version 2.0 of this podcast because <laughs> we actually we actually had this thing uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, we are using a new platform. And me and Evan Williams managed to mess that thing up, and it didn't record it right. So we decided that we were going to do this one from the Wolf Den here, Derek Wolf's studio up in Denver, and uh, Aaron is actually piping in uh over the internet from from wyoming so hopefully this one goes smoother and we're we're uh able to uh get this thing recorded properly and hopefully uh we're, we're a little smoother too because we have gone over it all one time before but we want to talk about really important topic basically what all's going on in colorado on the hunting front and from wolves actually hitting the ground now the way that politics have come into play and they found a way to circumvent uh, science-based wildlife management by introducing those wolves through a popular vote it's the first time in history that an animal has been reintroduced somewhere through popular vote and without a uh, scientific basis for it and what it's led to now with a couple of these new proposals, new uh, proposals that are they're trying to get onto the ballot in 2024, basically outlawing mountain lion and bobcat hunting. Yeah. And so let's start out with the wolves on the ground now. Aaron, you you did a podcast, you know, several of them way back when this was initially happening like both before 
uh, it got voted in and right after it got voted in. I remember listening to one with you and Guy Eastman where you were talking about it right after they had voted it in. I want to talk about the repercussions of uh, what, you know, what it's going to mean for us hunters here down the line. Yeah. So, you know, the, the podcast I did originally, a lot of that was based on my experience. Well, and all of us probably had the experience at the very least of the, the low, low herd. Uh, but what happened in Montana, Idaho with wolf reintroduction and, and lack of a, of a management plan, as well as my time I'd spent in the NWT Yukon and, and BC uh, and some in Alaska as well. I was very adamantly against any reintroduction of wolves. Uh, I was very adamantly against it, not because I have an issue with wolves. It's because of the management pro, but the, the, the non, the, the, their way of basically getting out of a predetermined management plan. It's kind of like, well, we'll figure that out later. But by the time the numbers of wolves are at a place that we're like, oh, we need a management plan. It's too far gone because wolves are extremely difficult to, they're hard to kill, right? They're really hard to kill. They're easier to trap, but you cannot trap in Colorado. So there was just so many different things that were freaking me out uh, about that reintroduction. But at any face value, honestly, if I was like, somebody said, hey, do you like wolves? I'm like, oh, I've seen them in the wild. They're cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't mind wolves. You want them back in Colorado? Immediately, it would be one of those, well, hey, let's, let's, let's dissect that. Are you reintroducing the correct species back into Colorado? Are you reintroducing one that doesn't belong here? Or, you know, the other thing, too, is like, obviously, the last time wolves were in Colorado it was a totally different space. You can have wolves far north, right, where there's no cities and there's no cattle. It's a bigger difference. So anyway, I'm rambling now, but it freaked me out and it went through anyway. And now we're probably looking back wishing a lot of us did some things maybe a little bit different tried a little harder and hopefully we can fix that for the future well i think you hit some really good points on that um my favorite one colorado parks and wildlife and a lot of the people that push this initiative are like oh yeah we're reintroducing canius lupus and it's we're not they didn't introduce the same wolf that used to be in colorado we used to have the greater plains wolf which is canius lupus and I'm going to butcher the last two parts of both of these nubulus. And then we had the Southern Rocky mountain wolf, which is Canis lupus young guy. Pretty sure I got that one, right? Mm. Uh, the, the greater plains wolf, they averaged 90 pounds, hundred to 90 to uh, 90 to hundred pounds. And the Southern Rocky mountain wolf averaged 90 pounds. The wolf that they released came from up in Alberta, which is the Northwest Canis lupus, O-C-C-I-D-N-T-A-L-I-S, if you want to look it up. They are the largest wolf species in the world. They average over 110 pounds and get to be over 170 pounds. So they didn't even release the right wolf. We had a chance at getting the Greater Plains wolf. That DNA is up in Wisconsin right now. They could have, if they wanted to work hard and actually put something that used to be here back on the landscape, they could have. And they just went with the, in my opinion, the lazy, easiest, quickest route to get them back on here because all they cared about was putting a wolf here. They didn't care about putting the right species here. They also could have put the Mexican gray wolf in here that is a truly endangered species and actually done something to help a species that has less than 400 in the world. Instead, they're like, nah, we're going to go with one that's not even threatened. We're just going to throw it in here and just wreak havoc on everything. because it's, it's not about the wolf. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's not about that. It's about 
killing a culture. And it's, it's not about the animals. Exactly. It's about killing a culture. Yes. Yeah. what it comes down to. And, uh, you know, case in point, I mean, Aaron mentioned the Lolo herd and we've got the statistics on the Lolo herd and, and what happened with it. So in 1995, they introduced what were either 10 or 12 wolves in 1995. It was 11, right? No, in, uh, in 1995 up in Idaho. Yeah, it I was, think it was 11, right? Maybe it was. It was about a dozen wolves. By 2005, there were 500 plus wolves. And then by 2011, there were over 800 wolves. Now, what that did to their elk population was in 1995, they had 16,000 elk in that Lolo Idaho herd. By 2016, they had 1,000 elk. Wow. So I, it absolutely decimated it. And to Derek's point, you know, they, they claim to do all these things because they're really concerned about the animals. And I, that's not somebody that's concerned about our herds. You know, our, no. our wildlife biologists were against the wolf introduction from the get-go. But they were silenced. Yeah, they were silenced. Yep. Well, and you want to talk about that 16,000, that wasn't over their carrying capacity. They yeah. were doing a good job managing yeah. those wolves. The only place that really wasn't doing a good or sorry, the elk, elk, they weren't doing a good job of managing the elk was in Yellowstone. That's where they were overpopulated, that Yellowstone herd. But they were still getting killed when they pushed out of the park in the wintertime. Mm. So, and they're, they're, sorry, go ahead. They get heated up about this portion. Yeah, go for it. So, and I, you know, I ran the numbers. It wasn't very difficult to do a few phone calls. You look at this which was based on Estes Park. Uh, the reintroduction with this was some of this anyway, was lowering the elk numbers in Estes Park, just like uh, Yellowstone. Um, or Rocky same, Mountain National Park. Uh, what did I say? Estes? Yeah, Rocky Mountain National Park. Excuse me. Yeah. Just outside of Estes Park, but Rocky Mountain National Park, lowering the numbers. So when you, when you look at this, and this was what really irritated me, if you close the Rocky Mountain National Park down for one weekend, uh, you know, every weekend for, for one month or one weekend or one week in a month, I mean, you know, seven days, you know, the exact amount of how much financial loss there is from not letting people in the park. Then you would know if you put hunters in there for that week, how much of a financial gain there would be because you could do raffles and drawings, all great, all the same outcome without releasing wolves, meaning you would have exact quantifiable data of numbers of elk that are going, how many you're taking out, how much money you lost, how much you gained back, you'd be able to control that. No problem. Instead, it's like, no, we're going to fix it with wolves that do not have an off button that are going to cost far more, meaning the monetary damage. And people are like, what do you mean? Well, let's just leave out the issues with cattle, right? And, and cattle ranchers. Let's just talk about the amount of revenue lost from hunters and outdoorsmen and women coming in that will stop coming to the state of Colorado because there's no more elk. So not just coming to view the elk, right? Now people might see a wolf or whatever, but the long, like the total package was just, just crap all the way around. It just was not well thought out. It was literally, yeah, just, just to kill a culture is what it was for. Well, to your, to your point about Rocky Mountain National Park, Rocky Mountain National Park is like a 10th of the size of Yellowstone. Yeah. A tenth of the size of Yellowstone. It's a postage stamp. Yeah. And take that into account also with the population of Colorado. Colorado's population is, is larger than Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana's population combined. Every piece of prime wintering habitat in every valley 
in Colorado has a city right in the middle of where the prime wintering ground is uh, for elk and, and deer. And when you introduce wolves into that environment, that's why our, you know, our, our wildlife biologists didn't want them here is because they, they might have had a place at one time, but that time was a long time ago. Now it's just going to cause absolute devastation. But to Derek's point, it's not about the animals for them. This is about killing a culture and their new game plan for killing that culture is to reintroduce every predator that they can and then to protect every predator that they can. So now that they've got wolves introduced, the other primary predator to mule deer and elk are mountain lions. So that's what's next. They're going to try and put a ban on mountain lion hunting completely and therefore they're going to devastate those herds that we hunt and in turn prevent us from hunting. And they, and they know that if they can do that for 20 years straight or something like that, it breaks the backbone of our culture. If they could and, do it for five to 10 years, I mean, it would, yeah, it the, would crush. The really crush important the thing here is that just, if you don't live in Colorado, you can't just say, Oh, Hey, this doesn't affect me. This is Colorado. No, Colorado is, ground zero yeah and if they figure out how to do it here efficiently they're going to do it in your state next yeah so you got to pay attention to what's going on in colorado and i don't care if you live in maine or if you live in alabama or idaho or montana or wherever you're at they're going to see they can make a pass they're going to pass it here and then they're going to take it to your state and it's going to affect you so you can't sit back on this and be like oh man this doesn't affect me i shouldn't care too much this is something that every sports person needs to be paying attention to yeah especially i mean because at the end of the day, if, if you're a wealthy landowner, it probably isn't going to affect you because you get to hunt your own property anyways. Well, if it's a, a big enough property. Right. Yeah. If you have no elk on there, it'd be, you well, know what you I mean? Well, if you don't have 160 acres, um, continuous acres in Colorado, you can't even apply for a landowner tag yeah. anyways. So, yeah. So um, we're talking about the ultra wealthy here. Yeah. That those are the people that are going to be able to hunt regardless. And it's going to be like the king's land in, uh, in Europe, you know, where the only people that are allowed to hunt are the people that own land. And that's, that's what we don't want. So if you're a, if you hunt public land or you come to Colorado to hunt, this is going to affect you. Let, yeah. Let me, let me rewind this to put this in context. Cause Derek, I don't, I don't, what you just said, I totally understand, but I, I want to make sure that, that you don't get taken out of context or people put words in your mouth. Like everyone loves to do on the internet. Uh, mm. I feel long-term what Derek just said, Colorado could potentially turn into a rich man sport, private land only, if we don't get a handle on this. Because, you know, when you look at, you know, the conservation land management, wildlife management portion of it, hands down, private land wins every time. There's always more animals, bigger animals. I say always, if, if managed correctly, it's cleaner and it's got bigger animals, more animals generally than compared to public land. Compared to public land, there's going to be not as it's not going to be taken care of as well. Right. And so when you look at crown land or what Derek was talking about, only the rich can hunt over there for the most part. That is a very realistic end outcome in Colorado if we do not stick together, because the rich people will be the only ones that can hunt because if they have the land. They can obviously also hire caretakers to manage the land, meaning keeping wolves off of there, things like that. 
people are like, how can they do that if they can't shoot them? Okay, they can't shoot them, but if you have rednecks driving around constantly, you have multiple different dogs, whatever, and your land's big enough, it's going to be easier to take care of that than than lick land. Well, just to say something about what both of you are saying, I mean, I know, like we were talking about earlier, um, that Lolo herd there ended up being like 800 wolves we're here in colorado there they want over a thousand wolves and on top of that they're trying to ban mountain lion hunting and if if you have an unmanaged wolf population that is allowed to grow completely out of control because that's one of their main goals is to keep us from ever having a wolf management plan and then you also ban, ban mountain lion hunting, it might not matter whether you have a giant piece of private land or not. Yeah, there might just be... There might not be any ungulates around to freaking hunt because unchecked, those, they're, they're going to decimate long term. the entire... Yeah, long term. I mean, you know how animals are. They go unbothered. So it'll only take them out a certain amount of time for them to go on to private. And then obviously the wolves and lions go on there. But let's, yeah. let's talk about... The lion hunting portion of this, uh, along with the wolf uh, or lack thereof hunting portion of this, an adult wolf kills 40 deer a year. You know, I'm just talking deer here. Mountain lions are more like 35, uh, roughly an adult mountain lions, 35 a year. So if you're looking at 40, so if uh, there's 800 wolves, not all adults, but I'm just going to round up. So thousand wolves, that's what they want. That'll be easy. Thousand wolves. So What's that? So that's 40,000 deer a year. Yeah, 40. And that's going to be lower than that. Obviously, they're not all adults, but you get the idea. But they also do kill and walk away from things. They don't always just eat those, even though people say they do. So there's a lot of issues with that. And I don't want to go off the deep end like I did last time because I was kind of negative about some of this. We all know about the end outcome of this. What we need to do to combat it and fix it, I think, is what people aren't you know, people are like, we got to, we got to fight this. How do we fight it? Right. How do we win? You yeah. know, that, that was, that, that's the biggest thing is how do you beat this enemy that we have? Right. And, and, you know, they're, they are well organized, they are well funded and they have an effective game plan in place. They do not want to take it through the wildlife biologists. They don't want to take it through the Colorado parks and wildlife department. They know that if they can get these initiatives onto the general ballot, that all it does, all it takes is a little bit of propaganda mm-hmm. and a little bit of tugging at heartstrings with the, you know, it's just misinformation. That's right. With a little misinformation, they can win over the, the, the person who, yeah, the, the, every soccer mom across the land. Well, and they've already started. The Colorado oh, yeah. Sun just ran an article about Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission shutting down the April mountain lion season. And the Colorado Sun ran this article that spun it to where they shut it down because they'd killed 44% of the kill this year was females and it was putting the population at risk. And they killed 192 mountain lions in December. And Which is they all shut it down because it's all 100% misinformation, but yeah. they're able to take that and spin it. So, yeah. To make it a motion. Yes. Yeah, and. When you listen and you read that article and you listen to what they're saying, you're like, oh, man, that's bad. That's not good. But if you look at it historically, Colorado, 40 percent of our mountain lines are females. Mm-hmm. It doesn't affect the population whatsoever. Mm-hmm. 
uh, we average 500 a year that are killed. Mm -hmm. And in the past two years, in the April season, they've killed two mountain lions on average. And then the year before, or in 2020, it was like three. Right. So they shut it down because it was a logistical nightmare. Yeah. And like just unreal, it was costing too much for what it was doing, but that's not how they're spinning it already. Right. They took it, they saw a way of like them doing something that actually was just making it easier on Colorado Parks and Wildlife, in my opinion. And they're spinning it to like, oh man, this is so bad. The mountain lions need our protection. No, they don't. And now we can do the same thing. If we're smart, we can spin that to, if you want to take that argument, cool. Parks and wildlife is getting ahead of it before it's a problem and they're doing what they can to stop it. But it's a hundred percent BS what they're spinning. Right. So it's already so started. Let's, let's talk about this a little bit more in depth, which, and I will be very candid. I said it a second ago, I was extremely negative on the first one we did for, for good reason. And I, I want nobody listened to that one, but I want to go into context about <laughs> things you're talking about right now, because why, why I was negative, which I still am. I'm just going to make it sound better this time. Cause I want people <laughs> to really understand what's going on here. When you talk about they're spinning it, that article goes out to the general public. It also goes on multiple different anti-hunting forums, so pages, things of that nature, uh, where they all pool up combined and then, you know, public outcry, whatever, whatever. What are we doing right now? Like, what are we doing as hunters to combat that? We're doing some podcasts, right? We're doing things like that. But are we getting it? I've said this before, when you go into church Catholic Church preaching about Catholicism, you're not really doing much to make a difference because they're already Catholic, right? Mm -hmm. We need to get into the eyes of people who are not Catholic. We need to get into, well, I'm not Catholic either, but you get the point. We need to get the eyes of people who are not already listening. So people getting on uh, when they have the online, uh, when you when you can watch on Zoom calls and the voting and you can discuss things and put your two cents in, you know, when you get on those and hashtag, you know, shoot, shovel, shut up, we sound like a bunch of rednecks. We're shooting holes in the bottom of the boat, things like that. So we really need to focus on, one, a better marketing campaign to getting this into the public's eye. Uh, and then number two, we also really need to focus on, on not shooting holes in the bottom of the, of the boat. Yeah. yeah. We need to win the people in the middle. The people who aren't yeah. anti-hunting, which is you're, you're – you're, basically your common citizen out there, right? They're not an anti hunter. They're just not a hunter. Right. They're so kind they of, know. yeah, they're, they're indifferent to it. And the, the biggest problem we have is the other side. It's pretty in, it's pretty easy for them to influence those people in the middle of the road. Well, cause they ha they can use emotion. Yes. They can make they it can about emotion, turn it into an emotional or get about the science. They don't want to hear science. Once they feel sorry for a cat, yeah. They feel sorry for a wolf. Yeah. They, they don't care. It doesn't matter what you say, what kind of science you bring, because now they've, they've tugged at their heartstrings and now they feel bad. But if, but if you can get to them before that, before that happens, before the emotions brought into it, show them the numbers, show them what happens to an actual elk herd and a deer herd and a sheep herd when these wolves and these lions are, are, are unchecked, you know, yeah. just look at California. I think the biggest thing that we need to do, um, the American people as a whole, and I'd say the whole world population is extremely selfish. If we show them how this affects them and how it's going to affect their kids' future and how if they want to be seeing elk and moose and deer when they're going into these national parks or they're going out into the woods, it doesn't even matter if you're hunting or not. If you want to see a healthy landscape, it needs to be balanced. And the North American model for conservation is the best proven way to do that right now. And so if we show 
how it affects them personally and how having this unchecked predator is a bad thing. That's how we're going to win the most because when it boils down to it, we're all selfish. Well, the fun- and so if we can show how it's going to affect them, that's going to be one of the best ways to do it. The, the funny thing is, is that all of us know, you know, of, of someone who voted for the wolf reintroduction, who later on heard a, 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 a reasonable explanation of why we are against it. And they said, man, I wish I'd have known that before I voted mm-hmm. because I would have voted against it. Well, all of us have families that, you know, we we have family events with and you know you walk in oh there's mr hunter you did you catch, catch anything, anything yet you know all this <laughs> stuff well we don't do a very good job about talking to them about why we do what we do um they don't mind that we do it but that's where i think that we've got to start this out is just talking to those contacts that we've got and explaining that hey they, we've got something on the horizon that's going to be detrimental yep um and it, it all can't just be done. That, that's small things that you can do in your own little community. But there is a group that's spearheading this effort and is going to be spearheading the campaign when it's put on the ballot, because actually it has been approved and that well, it's, it's been approved to the point where all they've got to do now is gather signatures. signatures. Yeah. yeah. Which and is not going to be difficult for right. not Prop 91 and Prop 101. And they're going to pick which one they're going to do polling. Well, I heard they, the they decided the on 91. They did. That they okay. reverted to 91. That's the latest thing that Dan Gates has said. But tell us, Lane, tell us about the, or Aaron, because you just did a podcast with Dan. Tell us a little bit about that organization and Dan, Dan Gates, who's kind of spearheading the effort. Go ahead, Lane. So are you talking about Colorado's for yeah. responsible wildlife management? Right. It is a nonprofit that's set up to lobby. So I want to say a 401-4C is allowed yeah. to do lobbying. Um, whichever nonprofit is allowed to set up to do lobbying. Yes. That's what they set up. So 100% of the funding for that Coloradoans for responsible wildlife management. It's uh, savethehunt.org. Yes, right? savethehunt.org is their website. They have full-time lawyers and lobbyists. No, Save the Hunt Colorado. Yeah, Save the Hunt Colorado. And it's .com. It's .com? Not order. Okay, sorry. Order. Save the hunt. Let's double check that. Yeah. Save the hunt, Colorado.com. And full-time lobbyists, full-time lawyers that are looking at all this stuff and they are f- working on fighting for what is best for the wildlife in Colorado and what's best for the North American model for conservation. So right now, that funding is going towards fighting Prop 91. Right. It's going to go towards this wildlife ban. There's not a lot we can do about the wolves right now. No, There's no, a little bit of stuff on the deal. back end. It's There's done. all kinds of, it's like people are still trying, but that's not where they're putting their effort right now. Um, that's behind us. We got to look at what's going forward. And Dan has been huge. And I, he, I, since I've been involved in hunting and started getting into the political side of things and what we can do, Dan has always been a name of somebody that's always doing his best for wildlife. No yeah. one's ever going to see 100% eye to eye. There's times that I don't see 100% eye to eye with him, but man, you cannot argue what he's doing. He has a full-time job and then he goes and he does this on top of it. And he's I, I bet he's, putting, I bet he's putting 40 hours a week in minimum mm-hmm. into this on top of his regular job. Yeah. He is doing a ton for it. And that organization is at the Capitol every single day doing something for it. Or if not, then they're working on the backside doing it. So it's a great organization. Yeah. Aaron, you might have a little bit more to talk about it. 
really the, the only thing to add to it is get on the website and donate a shit ton of money, whatever you can afford immediately. Like they need all lawyers are not, uh, lawyers are not cheap. Um, and it, and we definitely need those. We need and support in every way from marketing campaigns. So getting on that website and, and donating money at the very least, if you can't do anything else, I would say we should mention because it is, it is expensive. <clears throat> Our enemy has a lot of money. And so we need a lot of money to, to fight them. Well, and I want to make a point of what something that Aaron just said. He's not just talking to Coloradoans. He's talking to everybody like Mm -hmm. it is going to there's you might think that, hey, I'm a member of the NWTF or I'm a member of the Elk Foundation. Me and Lane are members of the Colorado Bowhunters Association. Those are all 501c3s. They are a different kind of conservation organization. They are not the ones that are designed to fight. This one, this the, Colora- the Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management, the ones at SaveTheHuntColorado.com, they are designed specifically to fight. Mm-hmm. That's all they do. And they are literally our only hope for beating this when it gets put on this ballot initiative in 2024. And if we don't beat it, it's coming to Wyoming. It's coming to New Mexico. It's coming to Montana. I'm telling you, this is the anti hunters new game plan. Oh yeah. Yep. And right here from their website, their mission to enhance, promote, and defend the North American model for wildlife conservation and responsible wildlife management. That's where their money has to go. Yeah. And so when you donate to it, that's where it's going. All these other organizations are great. Colorado Bowhunter Association, yeah. awesome. We can only um, we can only donate ten percent of our income as that's a CBA right. towards political funding. Right. Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, I believe, falls in the exact same thing. All yep. these other organizations can only do ten percent, and it's if they want to get involved anyway. And a lot of times they leave that to the local state chapter. I know Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has been a lot more involved in this stuff, but they can only do 10%. Yeah. So that's great. If you want to be a lifetime member, I a hundred percent support all that, but you should be, if this is an immediate thing that we need to be fighting now and winning and all of their money that they bring in can go towards political lobbying. Yeah. Yeah. Lobbying. That's exactly what it is. Lobbying, like fighting for us and doing the stuff that us as hunters usually don't like to do. Yeah. And you know what they're, what they're planning on doing is they are they, they why it's so important that everybody i don't care if you can do five dollars ten dollars twenty dollars go do something with this organization because when this comes up in november they have to they have to put on a gigantic campaign yeah. to try to win those people in the middle and we've already said how much harder it is for us to convince the people in the middle than it is for them to convince the people in the middle. And the other side, Prop 91, they've the people pushing that, they've already said they have 25 to $30 million yeah. that they're going to throw oh, yeah. at this. Yeah. It's not well, a small, well, this think, is a well-funded thing that's coming to fight. Well, you, you got to think of it this way. The, the governor's husband is the one who's pushing this so hard, right? So if any of you have a spouse, when your wife or your husband wants something done, mm-hmm. You get it done. Yeah. So Apollos is doing what his husband wants. Yeah. So yeah. he's going to push this hard. He's an anti, he's, he's an animal rights activist. Well, the, 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 the husband, the f- first gentleman, I guess he's called, um, is an animal rights extremist. Extremist. Yeah. 
He's he's an animal rights extremist. Just so you guys, for anybody listening in, anybody want to take a whack at uh, differentiating the difference between uh, activists and extremists? Because there is a significant difference between an activist and extremist. Like what level do the extremists go? And I, I have no problem. Extremists in Oregon put spikes in trees to blow apart logging equipment and uh, jack up chainsaws and basically do not mind calling causing physical harm to get what they want. Yeah. Um, and in very diabolical schemes for that. And extremists, that's what they will do. They will do extreme things. An activist may be somebody who pickets. His significant other is an extremist, and that's where this is coming down the pipe. And I think that does get overlooked sometimes because if my wife is extremely pissed at me and she wants the the garage clean, it's getting cleaned, right? I'm going to clean it every night. She's yelling at me, clean garage. If it's an extremist, that is a bad position to be in 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 the state of Colorado. And you can see the outcome of that. Well, and to make another point here, don't think that if you – aren't in the same political situation in your state that you're not in danger of things like uh, of this coming down the pipe because these organizations that are involved in it, it it might be our political climate that is causing Colorado to be the first ones in this position, but we are not going, if they win, we are not going to be the last. Mm -mm. Well, uh, I want to bring up Wisconsin. Northern Wisconsin has now made it so you can't kill any does. So you can't hunt does because the wolves have just decimated, decimated them. the deer herd up there. So that is, that is, look, there, there it is. There's a perfect, a perfect example of them taking hunting rights away. Sure. Like now you can't hunt those animals because the wolves have damaged the herd too bad. Sure. But they won't, but they haven't delisted the wolf yet. Right. And it, well, if you think about this, I mean, the reason that the antis have basically given up on just trying to outlaw hunting is because we generate so much revenue for conservation and bring so much revenue into uh, the, the economy in, in each state that they can't, they can't shut it down. However, if they can eliminate the animals that we're trying to hunt, and that's the freaking ironic thing about this is that they claim that it's all about the animals. They don't give two squirts about those animals. Nope. They want to eliminate them to the point that they are herds that are not huntable. And if they can, if they can do that, it accomplishes the exact same thing. And it drastically lowers the amount of revenue that we generate and makes it much easier to whatever little pieces of hunting that are left around to get laws passed against that because it's it's inconsequential well they already proved that with when they introduced the wolves in idaho they knew that that was a death sentence for the lower 48 caribou herd yeah that was a well-known thing they were already struggling they knew that was the death sentence to it and they did not care you had a species that actually you know was there already established i think it was the south selkirk caribou mm-hmm. and yes. as soon and as they released those idaho. Wolves, that was northern they were in northern idaho going back and forth between canada stuff they knew that was a death sentence to them and yeah in 2019 then they had to go in and they captured that last one they put it in a 20 acre enclosure which is horrible for a caribou right. They're like all right cool we saved them ah, yeah not really like you know, you, if they cared about them, they wouldn't have been pushing for those wolves. It's funny. We're, we've been talking mainly about elk and mule deer because those are the primary species, you know, that are hunted here in Colorado. But the wolf or I'm, I'm sorry, the moose population here in Colorado, which is a tremendous success story. Like yeah. the Colorado Parks and Wildlife, 
their reintroduction of, of moose and where our moose herd is today is just incredible. Moose are going to be one of the species that suffer the most. Oh, yeah. Like it, this is yeah, going to absolutely decimate yeah, the moose I, herd. So growing up, I grew up outside of Cody, Wyoming, and uh, I had a hero that my mom thought was crazy. He was always gone September, October, November elk hunting. And, and ironically, that's what I like to do now, too. But talking to him, he started hunting up there in uh, 1976, like in high school, his dad was a guy and he started really elk hunting. So he's been hunting up there ever since then. And talking to him about the landscape and the way it's changed, he said the first thing that he noticed after the wolves reintroduced up there, reintroduced up there was the moose were gone. Yeah. And he goes, they're still gone. They're not back. He goes, the elk, like they pushed out, they moved to different areas. He goes, but... There's used to be places that we would go ride up there and I would see 20 moose. He goes, you don't see a moose now. They're gone. He said the willows are just completely overgrown on this river that they used to ride because there's no moose in there anymore knocking them down. Well, he said it's completely just ruining that river. I'm I'm not a biologist, but I Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, but moose don't herd up the way that elk do. Um, during, they do not. Yeah. During the winter, they stay out in that deeper snow, and they they're they're solo or with one or two other animals, and that herd instinct for elk and mule deer actually helps them survive predators like wolves. Well, moose, yep. because they're solitary, they're more vulnerable during the the winter. Is that right? That is 100% correct. The other. The other issue with, I mean, I say issue, but, uh, you know, wolves figure out uh, calving grounds pretty quick, especially for, you know, for moose where they, where they're generally calving, uh, especially Alaska, it's even worse there where like mortality is a hundred percent because the grizzlies and the wolves figure out where they're popping out the babies. And, you know, I, I, without going into great, I mean, it's horrible to show someone some of those videos. I just think the votes for that middle ground would be a lot different without scaring the hell out of them to show some of the devastation of what the long-term repercussions visually will be. Because, you know, there's nothing worse than watching a, a moose or an elk get hamstrung or, you know, pulling fetuses oh, yeah. out straight out of the mom. And, and they don't see that. You know, that's not promoted. And that's where we need to do a better job of, you know, if you think about it, decent enough looking dude, doing a marketing campaign, get up there and say, hey, everyone, this is what happens when you reintroduce wolves to a place where they don't belong anymore and then boom, 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 you've got wolves hamstringing calves getting ripped out of, you know, fetuses yep. like horrible things and say, anti hunters caused this mm-hmm. hunters can fix this, but we're too busy yelling at each other to make it happen. But that is what we need to change. And that is what we need to do. Cause there's nothing worse than seeing like three cubs on a billboard said hunters did this and killed their money you know like what they do we have to start doing that back and when i say that not underhandedly but sticking together and, and really getting the, the the message out and not a shoot shovel shut up not a you know they took our jobs but like very deliberately and very very methodically and is well i don't want to put this but it is broad of 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 a message as you possibly can meaning you don't want to just wolves are bad i hate them kill them like you Uh you have to have some some biology behind it and some forethought in your presentation and we don't lane you've seen it how many of those group meetings are guys popping on there and gals 
shoot, shovel, shut up, kill them all. I mean, it makes it's not cool. helping. It's not helping. Shut up. This is where we have to come and we have to show that we are very um, methodical about it, that we're very down to earth and we want what's best. We actually want what's best for these animals, not these animal rights activists that are just extremists. We want what's best for the wildlife and what's best for the wildlife is to not have a ban completely on predator management. It has to be done in the North American model of conservation. I keep going back to it, but that is what is best for the wildlife. Mm -hmm. And when we show up and we talk, and if we're very grounded, we don't get emotional, we don't scream, we don't yell, we don't act crazy. That's how we're going to win this. Um, Because it's very easy. As soon as you start talking about how wolves will rip out a cow and then eat the fetus, a fetus out of a cow and then leave it and not eat the rest, they get crazy and they start screaming. It's like, you're lying. It's like, well, I got 46 videos from my buddy up in Wyoming last year of that exact same thing where the fetus was ripped out and the cow wasn't touched. Mm -hmm. So you can't argue with me about that at all. So that's not killing just, if you look at it, that's killing 10 elk throughout a lifetime of what that cow could have because it's killing the calf and the cow that could be producing more. So if we just go up and we talk about this in a rational manner, it's going to set them off and they're going to lose their minds and they're going to actually show the crazy side. And then we can be there and we can be methodical and we can, you know, show that we are rational people. And because I 100% believe that hunters are some of the best people in the world and we want what's best for the wildlife and we just have to show that and let the general public see that the non-hunting public see that we are rational and that other side is a little extreme and can be crazy and they don't actually want what's best for the wildlife. Well, it's funny. We kind of, we, we touched on some of the things that people can do. Like, you know, number one thing right now is if you want to do something positive, you go to that save the hunt Colorado.com and you make a donation. But the second thing you need to do, and this might get a little preachy to the hunters out there, but, um, you need to educate yourself on the North American uh, conservation model. Like you, you need to get educated about it because your average guy can't explain it. They can't explain the success of it. Um, they, they can't really explain how this is going to affect the ungulate herds, but with just a little bit of reading, you can, you can formulate a pretty good argument that you can give to your friends and neighbors. Um, Especially with the mountain lions, because you can just talk yeah. about quotas, yeah, and how those quotas have worked, yeah. And it, and I mean, the healthy there's a healthy population of everything in these in these units where where the the quotas aren't even being met. Well, they're they're portraying mountain lion hunting. You, Derek, know yeah. this better than anybody else because Derek took a gigantic mountain lion last year, and I, I mean, it caused such a stir that he ended up on Fox news. And I, I mean, there was so much mudslinging going on. Oh, he ended up on a lot of other places than Fox. Oh, yeah. News. That I was mean, just one of one of the good places he ended up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. All these, all these anti hunting, I, I would, you know, what's crazy is I got so much hate from like Europe. Yeah. People in Europe. I'm like, you guys have no, you're, you're, you have no animals there. What are you talking about? Like, how can you even, you have no idea what this model looks like. And it's because they're all fed this lie that mountain lions are in danger. Yeah. That they're, they're fed this lie that they're an endangered puma. Like I killed this endangered puma. Like I, it's, it just blows my mind how they are so ignorant. Oh, dude. 
I was getting yelled at because of you because we were friends and there were people tagging both of us saying he's friends with Aaron. What do you expect? Or look at these two Neanderthals or which neither one of us are helping that. We can't do anything about that. But what you just brought up is in one of the things where I'm trying to stay like as positive as I can here and and get get info out is if you ask somebody, Lane, why do you hunt? Like, why, why why do you hunt? Uh, for me, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. It's so I can provide the best food for my family. I can get out there. It's a release for me. I have an extremely stressful job. I know a lot of people that go into dark places and drink a lot for, um, because of the job that I do. Um, for me, it is my release. I, if I am stressed, if I get out, I it is a purpose and it's a drive for me. And it's much deeper than it's really hard to explain. If I go out into the woods for five days and I'm back if whether I'm scouting or whether I'm hunting, it is whether I'm running a camera, it is 100% a release for me in my happiest place. And I, it's the happiest for me when I can be back there with my family now, but it's just a reset. Um, and it's, it's hard to explain. You can't get that in the city. You can't, I can't find that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's going back to it's, it's my way of life. It is what I think about. It's one of the things that makes me the happiest in the world. Um, and for seeing it, my kids, my kids absolutely love it too. And it doesn't matter whether I say, Hey, we're going turkey hunting, duck hunting, elk hunting. They don't care if they're shooting to a point. My nine-year-old always asks, um, they want to be out there as well. And to see that passion is just amazing. So, so for example, with that, and I mean, and I, this isn't a negative thing, your speech would basically be the same one as mine. And nowhere in that do you say it just doesn't fit to say because I'm defending and helping out the North American model of conservation. That's an afterthought that that's part of it that goes without saying. And we're so used to I say we some people don't even know what we're talking about and will Google it while we're talking. But that's just a part of hunting. Right. It helps conservation, helps in habitat management, restoration, uh, hydrology, you know, fish and wild. You know, I mean, it helps all over the place. Why we do what we do is our own thing. I've had to get a lot better after giving the same spiel you have of saying, and in the end, um, I mean, it helps keep the, helps keep, keep the numbers, right? It it helps keep, yep. And I've never been, what's that? You're doing your part. Yep. Doing my part. And sometimes that part, you know, could be, for example, with mountain lion hunting, people really don't seem to understand that for bear and mountain lion hounds are by far the best management tool. And with that management tool, I know a lot of hunters that are like, oh, you know, hound hunting's for lazy people, <laughs> very uneducated, you know, comments. Um, yeah, Derek's about died, right? I mean, he's, uh, I mean, he, you didn't make it sound as bad as Alex did, but it didn't sound like you were just skipping down the mountain on the way back to the truck. Hound hunting is very difficult at times. Explaining how you can measure the paw to figure out if it's a male or a female, a dominant male, you know, all of those things, part of the education, it is very difficult to 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 get out. But I think we could definitely do not saying your what your speech is the same one I did, but but adding to that sometimes I've tried to get better at because people just don't people most people don't even know what the North American model of conservation is. Like a lot of people have no idea what it what it's even about and or where the history's from or like what Teddy did, right? Like people need to you said it before educate themselves, but it's quite the story. Well, I, I say I highly suggest if if somebody's looking for like a good a good listen on what it used to be like before, go listen to the Long Hunters by a mediator put out a, a an audio book. It's called the Long Hunters, mm-hmm. and it's about Daniel Boone and 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 those frontiersmen. 
I mean, those guys were hammering like four or 500 deer a year. A piece. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, go look at how it was prior. You know, they, they were wiping species out. Right. Right. And now it's like we, we, we can reintroduce any animal and, and help and make it thrive mm-hmm. through this model. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I'd highly suggest people go listen to that. So you can get an idea of what it used to be like and what like real unmanaged populations look like. Right. Uh, they must wipe the whitetail deer out. Well, and you know, back to your lion, like one of the biggest misconceptions that there is out there is they, they think that we're just allowed to take our hound dog out and go. No, you know, like they don't understand that like the, the lion hunting is the most regulated species that there is in the state of Colorado. The hunt for mountain lions is heavily regulated and controlled. And the CPW can't wait for you to make a mistake. (laughs) And the the use of hounds is huge in that because we average only 40% of what's killed as females compared to states that have banned mountain lion hunting with with hounds, sure. it's at 60% or higher in some areas. So well, yeah, like Aaron an touched you on, a, you're you allowed to look at the track. You can see what you're chasing before you even chase it. Mm-hmm. Another thing that was brought up by these animal rights activists and these people pushing Prop 91 and pushing away using hounds is that, oh, it could be bad for our new wolf population. There is oh. no dog out there that's going to look at a wolf and be like, I should go chase that no. because they ain't going to live. Well, they, if you, you talk to any houndsman, if you talk to any houndsman in any other state that has wolves, their dogs find a wolf track and they go back and they're like, all right, cool. We're done for the day, guys. We're not doing this. They right. know it's built into them. It's not going to affect the it, wolf. It's like when Aaron's walking through the woods and he sees my boot track, he's like, I'm, I'm going the other way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a Yeti. It's Yeti. Yeah. 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 On that note, not the note of his, his, his giant foot, but like on the, (laughs) with, with hounds and, and, and wolves in the area, um, the reason why with people, animals go extinct or end up on the endangered species list for many, many different reasons. Like you look at bison's a totally different reason than, than other animals may be wolves back in the day ended up on the endangered species list. Uh, because they were so bad on the ungulate population, the cattle herds, things like that. They were like rats and they were almost impossible to kill. So from everything I've read, it was all hands on deck, everything we possibly can do because these are so destructive. Um, You know, too many different things, including ungulates, cattle. So (laughs) when you look at um, a thousand wolves on the landscape with no management plan whatsoever. What are the long-term repercussions? We haven't talked about this. All right, we know the deer are gone. We know the elk are gone. We know the sheep are gone. The moose are gone. When I say gone, numbers are going down. Then it goes into neighbors' pets and cattle. Mm-hmm. Horses, I mean, everything else, because they get hungrier, they spread out. Has anyone done any long-term studies on that? I know we haven't touched on it yet. What they're looking at to do for cattle ranchers, like what's going on with all of that? I mean, we, we skipped over a lot of that. Well, right what, now, what's going on? cattle ranchers, what, 15 grand per, cat, per head? 
No, I don't think it was that much. Fifteen hundred or something. But it was. It was. Yeah, it was a lot. Paying them, they're just going to pay them, and that's not going. That's going to run out. That's not going to last. They're going to get really sick of that really fast. I mean, we already have it going on in Granby right now, Mm. and that rancher, and he has those two wolves on trail camera killing cattle after cattle after cattle, and they're like, "Oh, we're not sure what wolves are." We're not. Those aren't even the wolves they. It's not even the ones they released. Those are ones coming down from Wyoming, (laughs) which were already here, which the CPW wasn't allowed to tell us tell anybody about that either. Yeah, exactly. Right. With so orders and, and all that other bullshit. I know. Once again, going back to my buddy in Wyoming, he said it completely changed the elk. When if you want to get into the hunting a little bit, I know it's not quite what you talked about, but it completely changed where the elk were living. And a lot of them pushed back down onto the plains because there's more people on the plains and the wolves were kind of avoiding that. So I think right away you're going to see these elk figure out that if they get into areas where there are more people, they're going to be hanging out there, which is going to cause more problems for cattle ranchers because now they're having more elk coming on and eating their their fields before the cattle can. It's going to just be more competition for them on that. So that's going to be hard for them as well. Right. As far as like long term, I I don't want to use your terminology from last time, but it's going to have to get really, really bad before this political climate in Colorado allows us to use lethal management. And when we do, we're already behind the eight ball because we're not allowed to use foothold traps the way we are in the way they are in Wyoming and Montana and Idaho. And that's the way that Idaho manages their wolf population is through foothold traps and trapping hunters. I think they sold 30,000 wolf tags last year and 300 of those got filled by hunting. The rest of it was by trapping. Hmm. That's wild. It's insane. Shows you how hard well, and, and when I go ahead, no, you, you go ahead, Aaron. Uh, no, I, when I was talking about like long-term, not to, not long-term, just doom and gloom of uh, what the potential could be long-term meaning, the tax, uh, I would be difficult. I'm not smart enough. We would need some pipe hitting accountants. The amount of money we're kicking to cattle ranchers long term in 10 to 15 years, I'd like to see those stats. If they get half of, let's say, $750 a, a cow or, or, you know, whatever livestock, you, you know, you pick it, that's going to be funded by our tax dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at black bear, and, and this is kind of where I was kind of circling back with all of this. Spring black bear is gone in Colorado, 92 or whatever it was. We, we lost that vote um, in baiting. We're still killing the black bears, right? The, we're paying for it. We're paying, we're paying state and federal trappers or hunters to kill black bears, nuisance black bears. You know, we'll trap them, we'll do things, but there are 100% programs that we pay a significant amount of money to lower those, uh, those numbers in black bears. Will that happen? Go ahead. Uh, I just looked it up, and I, the first article that popped up was in 2022. Uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife paid $450,000 for bears getting into beehives, killing cattle, sheep, mountain lions, and goats, wow. and elk eating hay. So how much higher is that going to get? Well, and make we no mistake, one thing to point out is that bears are heavily managed still, even though we are not – spring bear hunting them you can buy over-the-counter bear tags in most of the state well and this is kind of leading up like full circle on this and 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 you all brought up great points what's it going to go up to now uh significant right because now there's wolves and we're looking at it obviously hound hunting being gone so like danny said we're still killing black bears in the fall that's a great thing mountain lions even with a it is a much easier task to shoot a black bear spot and stock depending upon the berries the grass everything else mountain lion 
a lot like shooting a unicorn, right? Yeah, good you just, yeah. It just doesn't happen. So even though you may be able to still manage, right, I'm using that a very loosely term, pretty much you see a line, you better just shoot. And, and if you got a tag in your pocket, because it's not going to hang out, you're not going to be stocking it. So when you look at that financial burden, million and a half, two million dollars of one would be obviously the money going back to cattle ranchers to make them whole again. So now we'll have black bear wolves, cats, then we will also have state trappers, state hunters, and then we'll also have making the 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 landowners whole, the cattle ranchers whole. That is a big, that is a large amount of money that is um, probably unquantifiable. Like it's probably not even I, I don't even know you could come up with a dollar amount, but it's getting increased tax dollars and no one ever thinks about it. It doesn't seem like anybody ever thinks about that either. That's a great point. Bring this back to we are selfish people. Yeah. And if you like, hey, in 10 years, you're going to feel this in your taxes. Ooh, yeah. I might I might vote a little bit differently when it comes to Prop 91. Well, I mean, I might vote a little Polis bit differently already, when it comes to the Polis next isn't things. afraid to raise taxes. He's already raising property taxes. Yep. Oh, yeah. You know, so I'm we're just with marijuana being you. legal here, the billions of dollars in tax revenue that they bring in, and they still need more. <laughs> I don't even want to get into that. So like, it's like, you, you at know, what point it, it is was it, supposed to, oh, it was you want supposed to, get to go to our schools and, and our roads. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, just cross the border from Wyoming or Kansas or Utah into Colorado and immediately feel what the, the road's doing to your truck. And I would love it's to know ridiculous. where that money's actually going because it's ridiculous. Like, yeah, look, it's, at, like, look at Denver right now. The city of Denver is asking for another $180 million from the agency's budgets because they're like, oh, we got too many homeless and we got too many refugees and stuff coming in. It's like, mm. where's all this money that we're getting? Like, yeah. you want yeah. to talk about all the dispensaries and the stuff that is going on in the middle of Denver because they were very open to it at the beginning. It's like, Every, where's that everywhere. money at? Where's the that money? State. Yeah, yeah, the whole state. It's yeah, it's ridiculous. So yeah, they're not scared to raise taxes and then squander it. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. they squander everything. That's that, that is every Democrat ran city is is in debt. <laughs> yeah. almost bankrupt like it is it's just yeah. obvious i mean go to any state go to any state any city yeah look what's look what's happening there um that's i mean that's why you have to hunters have to vote like we yeah. have to stop like i understand the the thought process of i don't really want to involve myself i like to be left alone i like to be out in the wilderness alone yeah and i don't want i don't want to bother myself with that but you're going to lose that that you're going to lose that right if you don't fight for it. And the only way you can fight for it is by voting and donating. It, it is so <sighs> since I, I think I started hunting in like 1986. Um, and so it's, it's been a long time. And ever since then I've heard about, you know, the big bad wolf, <laughs> the antis that are coming for us. And, um, it, let me tell you, everybody out there, like now it's real. Mm -hmm. It is more real than it ever has been. They've got a better roadmap. They've got a better plan. They are better funded. They are organized and they've got a way to actually do it. And we have no choice. We have no choice but to yeah. get to get involved, educate ourselves, do everything that Derek was just talking about. Well, look at our commission. Yeah. Look at the 11. What is 11 of them? There's, there's yeah. one hunter and uh, well, that's the wife of a outfitter, I believe. Are there any other big game hunters right now on the, on the, well, there's a the governor vote, so. appointed commission. So they're supposed to be, we have uh Haskett who is representing the, 
Sports. That, no, she represents the, the outfitters. And then there's Otero, who is not like it's it's they're not passionate. I'm just gonna go. They're not passionate huge passionate hunters. hunters. They've been appointed by Polis. Um, our latest one, um, Skyba who I've talked to and doesn't seem like a horrible person, but at the same time, he was one of the guys that spearheaded bringing wolves back to Colorado. Mm. That's who our hunting representation is, is somebody yeah. that spearheaded bringing wolves back. Right. Um, so it's really, it's stacked against us right now. And then if you want to get into the people that are like supposed to be representing like parks and wildlife and non-consumptive use and stuff, we're talking about people that have straight up worked for anti-hunting organizations. Yeah. Yeah. It's not great. Uh, it's hard. It's political. Um, yeah, that's yeah. all I want to say because so, I have to work with. Them I know. Um, I and like some of these people are great. Uh, I, if you want to get into like even these people that work for anti-hunting organizations and stuff, um, and I'm not going to name this commissioner who's actually been very reasonable with the hunting stuff, tried to push for the Mexican red wolf and the Mexican gray wolf. Well, that same because that makes sense. That same commissioner, I listened to a commission meeting a couple of years ago where the biologist put together a 30 minute presentation on electronic calls to try to make the commission understand that when you turn an electronic game call on, not every animal in a mile stretch comes running into your yeah. lap. And the reason <laughs> yeah. for doing it was because they're one of our biggest mule deer herds is in trouble because of, uh, of, of loss of habitat and because of predation. And in that particular area, you can't really run dogs for cats, but for, for lions because they're the properties are too small. The dogs get off. So the, the, the mountain lions were out of control in that area and they, that mule deer herd was suffering. So what these biologists with the CPW wanted was for your coyote hunters that were predator hunting out there with their Fox pro game call. If they happened to call a mountain lion, in, yes. which is incredibly rare. Yeah. Incredibly rare. Um, <laughs> if a lion happened to show up, they wanted that, uh, that that hunter to be able to take the lion it yes, was going without to breaking do the law the mule yes. deer her, heard a favor because currently in colorado you cannot use an electronic game call for mountain lions so they were trying to make an exception for this one area and went and put together a beautiful presentation on it yep. and after listening to it that same commissioner turned around and said i see no difference between baiting a, uh, an animal with sound or or food this is it's unethical yeah and, that's and what I, immediately that's what i was fighting. like well what about an elk hunter yeah what about a whitetail hunter that rattles antlers yeah what are you i mean what are you what are you that's saying what guys that's what we're fighting you know yeah. that, and you're making decisions about our our hunt one yeah. of those commissioners said she didn't feel safe in a ladder stand so we shouldn't be allowed to hunt from tree stands jeez oh, I mean, there's no logic here. Sorry, we're getting off because, you, you know, and everybody understand this is, you know. I can't, I can't believe I had the outlook I had at the last podcast with you guys. You're making me sad. Dude. I'm taking no response, but no. We're just trying to people that how important it is to, like, come together, right? Yeah. Like, we have to come together. Like, we, we have to. There's no – we're going to lose it. No, the infighting. I think, yeah, I think one of the – Yeah, I was just – Go ahead. No, I think you're probably going to say the same shit I was going to say. I was going to say, uh, I don't want to like try to make us wrap it up, but like just retouch on the things that we can do as sports people to fight this mm -hmm. are 
show up. It's pretty easy to show up to a parks and wildlife commissioner's meeting. All you have to, and if you want to talk on it, all you have to do is get on 10 days before, fill out a little form and you're signed up to talk as to what the issue is. And you can have your voice be heard. It's very easy to show up. And if you show up and you're respectful and you just like put your point of view out there and we have 20 other hunters show up, you know, when we had when Colorado Bowhunters Association was pushing to reduce the uh, resident, non-resident, L- or a big game tag allocation for the draw, we were the only ones showing up and talking about it in favor of it. And it was crazy. And then eventually we had five people show up and talk when they voted. And those five people are what got the vote. Ooh. Five. Yeah. I, and maybe it was six, but it was not a lot of people. We're not talking about 20 people getting on. And I was sharing stuff on my page. You were sharing stuff on your page about it. And still nobody got on. And it's really easy to get on and talk to the commission or shoot them an email. They'll write you back. They'll talk to you about it. Otero is one of the best ones about it. He will write you back. He will make time to write you back and talk to you about this stuff and be in a very informed way. And he's open to listening to what you're talking about. The other way is show up to the Capitol. If you've never shown up to the Capitol to talk about a bill, that's even easier. Other than the fact that you had to go to Denver, park up Colfax. Well, and right, right now you're addressing yeah, Colorado. Colorado. You're addressing I'm Colorado. Colorado. But it's like, talk about like, it's that easy with everywhere else. Yeah. It's very easy to get on and talk to your whatever, whether it's the commission or your parks and wildlife people, it's very easy to just call and say, who, who's your wildlife biologist that I can talk to about this and talk to them and at least get your voice heard so that your opinion's being heard. It's extremely easy and we're not doing it. And now's the time that we need to be stepping up and doing it. Yeah. In Colorado, especially right now, yes. for sure. But it, this goes for everybody. Yeah. It's, it's time to get involved because there's real danger of us losing this. Yeah. I think I said on the last time, uh, the wolves got passed, and I really hope that they awoke a sleeping dragon, that they didn't realize what they're doing. And on this next one that we come in and we crush it, we show them this isn't your new game plan. This isn't how you stop our way of life because we're going to show up in force and we're going to stop you and we're going to bleed your money. Right. Yeah. So I, I want to add a little bit of what you said to put things in context as far as showing up and making a difference and everything else. If uh, magically we had Cameron Haynes and myself meet or any bunch of famous people and we said, hey, show up for free. You get to come meet us all and ask questions. I would be willing to guess there'd be four or five, 600 people to show up. Right. You guys good. agree with that? Yeah. It'd be more than that. We did a live okay. meteor show downtown at Mission Ballroom in Denver and it was like 2,000 people. You had up. to pay to show up. Yeah. So I, I bet it would be even more than that. So just use your imaginary friends, pretend like we're all there at the next meeting and show up. Because if you can show up to see our dumbasses, you should be able to show up if we have a chance of losing hunting, right? It's that big of a deal at this point. And, and I, I, when I say put it into context, that's as true as I could make it. If you want to come listen to me talk about wearing one set of underwear for 14 days and how Derek transitioned into hunting and how Danny decoys and you film. All right, that's all cool, but it's all going to get taken away if we do not get our crap together and show up. So we, we need to put a better foot forward on that, including myself, not just raising awareness, showing up, emails, all of it. And, and again, they have one goal. They yeah. hate us. Yeah. That's the only goal they've got. They want to stop us. We argue about ammo and broadheads and arrows and I know you pick it, I whatever. We, we got to start. Not to say we don't want to keep arguing about footwear or whatever, but we, we have got to start rowing the boat in the same direction and make it our voice be heard in a, in a very, very deli- or in a very respectful way. Yep. Otherwise it's all going to be a moot point. Mm-hmm.
all of those other little arguments that we have amongst ourselves. But yeah, let's, we're all going to become photographers. <laughs> we don't need of, any more of what? <laughs> of wolves. Wedding photographers? You. I, uh, you know what? I'll be an OnlyFans photographer. I, that's good, only. <laughs> well, guys, uh, you know, this is a group of four passionate buddies that are talking about this and we get off track. You know, we, we uh, sometimes, you know, get, go down rabbit holes, things like that. Hopefully we're getting the message across to you guys. I mean, this is a very real thing that's coming in Colorado and you, it doesn't matter whether you live in Colorado. It doesn't matter whether you hunt in Colorado. If you are a hunter listening to this podcast, this is something that is potentially going to impact you. And right now that, you know, not everybody can, uh, not everybody can participate at the same levels. You know, nobody can do what Dan Gates is doing and just forfeit everything in his life no. to fight this fight. Um, you, you know, it's me and Lane got involved with Colorado Bowhunters Association just because we wanted to find a way to be more involved and be proactive. Um, and we we don't do that much, but not everybody can has the time or the lifestyle to be able to do that. Um, the number one thing that you can do right now is to visit that website, savethehuntcolorado.org, and donate. Com. Com. Oh, dot com. Savethehuntcolorado.com. <laughs> and confirm that. Lane. That is, no, I, I have it pulled up right now. It's savethehuntcolorado.com. Yes. Coloradoans for Responsible Wildlife Management. And I, you know, I, I, if you, if you start typing in save the hunt, it, it just pops. It's, it's there. Yeah. So, um, and, and it, any, little amount matters because this is going to be spent directly on a campaign to try to curb what's coming. Mm -hmm. yep. Um, and you know, with, with that said, we're going to, we're going to pop off of here, but I appreciate all four of you being here and the effort that we put into trying to deliver a cohesive message here because God dang, it was a train wreck last time. <laughs> <laughs> it was a train wreck and we screwed up the recording of it, but, um, Thanks for for uh, being patient enough to try and make this work, guys. Now, Aaron, for the end of this, yeah, you have to let it upload. Yes. Gotcha. Is that the official end? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Was that? <laughs> <laughs>